favorite quotes about the value of strong Christian fellowship, C.S. Lewis, the next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. And you are back. We are back. And you are back. The listeners are back too, we hope to the Code of Man podcast for this week. Well, if they heard this introduction, we know they're back. Well, that's neither here nor there. I was thinking about when when <laughs> when Dr. Dean was praying for us, when Napoleon was praying before we started, you made a statement. You, you said in the prayer, Lord, we don't know how you use this or who all is listening. And I was thinking, you know, what we're doing here, we have... <laughs> get a hold of yourself over I'm there. sorry, I was just... I mean, you just shut him down. <laughs> yeah, I did. I had I something mean, important you... to say. <laughs> oh, man. Just keep myself on my little keyboard. <laughs> hey. Push my little buttons, slide my little slides. Three words, buddy. I don't blame you. Wait, hold on. Four, four words. <clears throat> four words, buddy. I don't blame you. Thanks. So, anyway, I was thinking what we're doing here, you know, we have, uh, I don't know, somewhere between 500 to 5,000 listeners, but... What we're doing is we're creating a digital time capsule. Mm. This is going to be recorded, uploaded, posted, and available for posterity's sake. Our podcast has the capability to be the audio version of A.W. Tozer's writings. Somebody that was not really valued as much in their own life, but give us, we're going to be posthumously. I'm going to one-up you. Ooh. We're like, we're like going to be the next, we're going to be the digital version of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Wow. I was going to say Herman. Sorry. I was going to say we've got to get buried in the archives for like 2,000 years and get unearthed as a treasure. Well, I was going to compare us to Herman Melville, the uh, Moby Dick, you know, that was not received well until, you know, years later. But you just dropped the Dead Sea Scroll bomb on us. So that's right. Can't one up that. Sometimes you got to die and be out of the picture for a little while before you're truly appreciated. Mm. I'm going to put that on your tombstone. (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) Topic today for this week's uh, podcast is the role of small group ministry in our churches and more, I guess, to the point in in our lives. Mm -hmm. It's the ministry that it brings into our lives and that we bring to one another. Well, N.T. Wright, uh, you guys ever read any of N.T. Wright? No, sir. He's got a few books that's you know, the title of it is like Simply Jesus. Well, this is from the book Simply Christian, Why Christianity Makes Sense. But he says this, The church exists primarily for two closely correlated purposes, to worship God and to work for his kingdom in the world. The church also exists for a third purpose, which serves the other two, to encourage one another, to build one another up in faith, to pray with and for one another, to learn from one another and teach one another, and to set one another examples to follow challenges to take up, and urgent tasks to perform. 
This is all part of what is known loosely as fellowship. And I thought that was very fitting for what we would be talking about today because uh, we're on this topic of, of the small group ministry or whatever you want to call it. In fact, that's a great place to start. I think we, most of the people that are listening and maybe new to it, maybe we struggle with, first of all, what in the world of religious lingo do we actually call these things we're talking about today? Because, you know, you'll see small group, life group, community group, discipleship group. Sunday school. Well, actually, yes, some people would use that term, but that's a good distinction we want to make because we're actually talking about something that is other than that. Correct. Not not unrelated, but other than that. But that could be something that people would call that. Yes. People would... People will use these terms, small group, in conjunction with Correct. or in yeah. other than. So I don't know that there's a specific best term for it. Um, have you heard of any other names that people use? No, nah, you pretty well ratted off all of them. But don't those also all kind of in some of our circles that we may listeners may find themselves in have negative connotation to it? Mm-hmm. I think the big one that carries the negative connotation is the small group. I've not met many people that have issues with discipleship class or you know ones like that but something about small group that kind of tends to get the and i don't know about that why do we think that is like a like a flavor of the month type deal well yeah i think it immediately gets branded as compromise okay you know that's the first step towards compromise you start you start breaking up church within a church and now all of a sudden the larger issue then because i'm thinking now about Christian leaders that'll listen to this, maybe pastors, the larger issue is you're going to do something that's not under the direct direction of the church and the pastor, right? right? And, yeah. and it's viewed in, in that way as a bad thing. So let me just, let's just put all the guns and knives on the table. Is that a bad thing? Hmm. I, I will, I'll answer the question myself and say that probably... Seven or eight years ago, I would have been on the side to quickly say, yes, that's a bad thing. You don't want to have stuff happening that's not under at least some sort of supervision of the pastor. But I'm going to be honest with you. I I don't have that view, and I don't take that issue anymore. I think it— Why am I wrong? Just for devil's advocacy. Okay, devil's advocacy, you always need to be sure that you have a mediator. Uh, Moderator. Sorry about that. Moderator. A moderator, because the last thing you want is a bunch of people sitting in a circle. Well, here's what I think this verse means. Well, here's what it means to me. Well, I think we should love everyone. Well, what's mm-hmm. truth to me is truth to you. That that would be devil's advocate. Well, and I think to the other point, if we're doing the small group thing and we're doing it in the name of the church, then I think that's where the church has to understand... So the point you made about the moderator, it needs to be somebody that is church-recognized as, look, we collectively recognize this person as a teacher and an authority to sure. to minister in that way with the from gift, a church. With the yes. gift of teaching, the because, gift of discernment. Correct. Because otherwise, you got some good old boy that you don't know what they're teaching, and teaching in the name of the church is the issue. Now, if we're doing a small group where it's just... Getting together. Yeah, five or six people have said, hey, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in it. I'm interested in it. Well, hey, why don't we get together, read something, or view something, kind of discuss this? 
then I think it's different because you're not necessarily doing it in the name of the church organizationally. So I think the settling to this, and look, we can't tell anybody what they ought or ought not do, okay? So that's number one. Uh, There's that liberty in Christ and so forth. But I think the middle ground of this is if you are a pastor or an elder in a church who has concern about people in your church getting together outside of a church-sponsored activity, well, number one, you need to evaluate that. Okay, so think about your ground, your, your scriptural basis for having concerns about that. But if your concern is, well, I just want to make sure that the wrong stuff's not slipping in that's counter to what we're teaching, and that's a legitimate concern, yes, sure. hey, we, we get that. So I think your role is make sure that you offer yourself and that you're in. Don't try to lord over God's people, but make sure you offering offer yourself in a way that people feel comfortable. Hey, preacher, this is what we got going on, and we're excited about it. On the side of the people that might be leading something like that, have enough consideration for your pastor and, and leaders that you're willing to go to them and say, "Hey, just want to let you know we're doing this, and boy, it's been a blessing." And and we're you know we're you know just kind of keep that line of communication open, right? Yeah, and one of the the big things is having a strong foundation, especially if it's through the church. So we've had this conversation a lot. I know Easy Target and myself have had this conversation a lot. There are certain denominations and just the evangelical church as a whole, there are certain topics and certain subjects they stay away from and they shy away from. Mm -hmm. And they may touch on, you know, and and the extent of that topic may be, well, bless God, I used to do that before I got saved, but I don't do that no more. And you need to to pray more and get right with God and repent and move on. Stop it. Stop it. Right? That's so when you have a small group, there is a fear of people talking about things that are relevant. And sometimes the church does not talk about things that are relevant. So you get five or six Christians who have a heart on fire for God. The next thing you know, they're talking about those subjects, and they're beginning to confide in one another and say things that you got some religious guys over here going, whoa, I don't want none of that. So I think that is why some folks have a little bit of issue with the small groups. And a good example of that as far as a study that could be utilized would be uh, Every Man's Battle. I don't remember yes. the authors of that book, yes. but you know, if you got a group of men together to actually read through that book and talk through the discussion of it, you know, you're going to actually open up some avenues for some deliverance, yes, mm-hmm. freedom, and, and encouragement to see that though that topic is not might not be commonly talked about, it's actually a real thing that people need to encourage one another. Go back to that N.T. Wright quote. You know, right. it makes it practical. Right, right. And we'll, we'll, we'll be able to give some examples as we go along through this conversation today. But to the, to the name thing, you know, one thing about it is eventually a group can take on a name and take on an identity, maybe have a vision and a direction itself. I kind, I'm sure I didn't coin this phrase, but around... Our world, I coined the phrase that we don't want to create a church within the church, mm-hmm. but to create fellowships within the church is actually a beautiful thing and a Bible thing. Because let's just say you have a church about the size of the church we're all a part of, and let's say you've got 250 people. I can't know intimately 250 people, but I can get to know 15 in a pretty strong way. Yeah. And if there's pockets of you know 10, 15 people, even smaller, pockets of five that are really tight. Now, 
you know, everybody talks about the clicks, but we're not talking about clicks. We're talking about fellowships. Right. And if there if there exist good fellowships within the larger community, it only strengthens the community. Yes. And so that's what we're we're after. And they can take on a name of their own, like we got the code of man, for example. Right. And I think that's a good distinguishing characteristic that's worth highlighting the difference in cliques and fellowships you know cliques are exclusive like you you're not welcome because you're not part of us whereas a fellowship is look anybody is welcome so long as they meet the set parameters like this is what we are meeting so hey if that if that calls out to you if you you know, unite with that. Hey, wonderful. Now, don't come in and try to change what we are because this is why we are gathering. This is what has brought us together. But everybody is welcome so long as they fit those parameters. And you'll see natural divisions that will happen within a church that way because everybody has different interests, different goals, different objectives, different stages of life. But the clicks are when you got somebody on the outside that's like, man, I really want to be a part of that. And then you got the people that's like, well, sorry. You ain't our kind. You're not welcome mm-hmm. here in this circle, and that's always damaging. Well, let's try to define just for those who might not know. Okay, what are you actually talking about here? Let's try to define some of the the distinguishing things about what these groups are, these fellowships are. Now, I think there are two things that we're really talking about. One, and maybe it's more of the the catalyst to the second, but the first one is the small, or I mean, the short term small groups meaning like something that we're all a part of right now. We've been doing a study together of John Eldridge's Resilient, Mm -hmm. and we've been meeting for five weeks. Uh, All of us, our wives have been involved, and we've got other members of our church that are involved. And so that's like a short-term group that meets for a period of time. And then I think those talking about that also leads into us discussing how that can develop into longer-term groups, where, as I said, we have like you know, what we call the code of man. You know, we got varying levels of participation in that, right? We got guys that are very involved, and we got guys that every now and then are involved, and guys that are on the fringe that we want to get involved. So let's lay that out. I'm going to ask you the question, tell me, what does a short-term small group, what does it have, what does it consist of, what does it look like? Let's lay that out for the listener. Very organized, schedule, um, curriculum, Food, child care, videos, things like that, on that nature. I think the curriculum is, though, the big part because typically with the short-term small groups, it's a topic or an interest that you got a bunch of people that are like, oh, that that sounds appealing. That sounds like something I'm looking for. And so, yeah. you know, you're all going to gather together and study this. It's almost kind of like a, um, like a, like a module, like a college type thing where it's like, all right, this is this is the one topic that we're going to do. We're going to do it for a week, but we're going to be super intensive on this particular topic, and we're all going to learn together. That's kind of the benefit of the short-term small group because it's a very yeah. super heightened focus on whatever the topic at hand is. Almost like a, sorry about that, OT, it's almost like a prolonged retreat or like a workshop. You know how you have like one day devoted for something? A small group is where... Spacing it out. Yeah, Yeah. you take something that you would do like on a Saturday and you space it out over five to eight weeks or something. So basically, two words you've you've given. It's organized and it's intensive. It's an intensive. Yeah. Now, breaking down that organization a little bit, so like what we've done, uh, it's, you know, meeting once every week for this particular one, meeting once a week 
and when we come together, and these they're variables, right? You can do it a, a lot of different ways, but this is the way we've done it, and I'm curious to know how you guys have felt what's worked well in this and what are some insights that we can bring for those who are thinking about would try to do something like this. So we come together, so let's just use the specifics we do. Six o'clock, uh, we gather for a meal, and we've kind of themed those meals, so people sign up to bring different things each week, and um, we've had Canadian night and Asian yeah. night and survival food night, yeah. which, you know, by the way, the Canadian night, I provided probably one of the most unique and creative dishes ever, Sasquatch pudding. Wasn't a big hit, but that's another time. I'm seeing some counselor about that. Anyway, and then we, uh, after the meal, we have some time of cleaning up a little bit, and then we all make our way upstairs to the meeting room. And as you said uh, there, Napoleon, we have a video series with this one because it's the John Eldridge Resilient, and we'll kind of open up with a little bit of discussion, and there's where your facilitator matters. And I'm, you know, I've been the facilitator for some of this, right? And I'm going to speak to myself in front of everybody. It's finding that healthy balance between trying to facilitate but not do too much. Yeah. And that the group's going to make that kind of you have to determine as you go. But then we just have the we watch the video and then we have some on, follow-on discussion after that. Mm-hmm. And then you leave with some assignments. There's some reading to do, uh, some some meditations and thinking through it to do and there's some things to put into practice. And that's uh, kind of how that works. One other thing you mentioned was providing childcare. If that's something that needs to be done, that can make it easier for people. So those are some of the nuts and bolts of the short term. What did I miss? And Pretty or well covered it. What has worked really well or has been really helpful for you as an individual, as a man, even as a couple? What has worked well for you? What have you really looked at this and said, you know what? This has been great because. I think for this particular one, it's been great doing it as a married couple. Um, there's been some that we have done just the men and there's great value in that, but it, but it's it's kind of different. Um, you go into it with different goals and objectives. So going into this with my wife has been good because we've been able to talk some throughout the week, on the way home, um, kind of discuss through some things. Hey, how did this resonate with you? How did this sound? Let's dig into it a little bit more. And so that part has been very beneficial because you know there's there's somebody else that is in your household going it right along with you. Um, and then it's also helped to build, you know, some of that camaraderie together, you know, with us as a couple, because again, we're doing it together. It's not me doing this and then trying to fill her in or vice versa, her doing it and then try to get me up to speed with what she's doing. But but we're kind of pulling in the same direction. So doing it as a couple in this particular setting has been a great benefit. Yes. And so just to make that application, whether it's guys or, or gals listening right now, there's ways to do this in which you get to do it, and, and it affects your marriage and can help your marriage, as well as the individual ones that men can right. do and women can do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And I, I would say the the material or the content and the resources. So you don't want to fall into the trap of, you know, three to thrive. We just want you here, right? We're going to have a small group, and oh my goodness, people actually showed up. But then you show, like, or the material you have is, like, C plus, B minus at best. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that good. It's stuff that, let's be honest, most of the people showing up in the middle of their week for a small group is probably already knows. So 
this particular one we're doing, the content is A+. You don't get any better. You don't walk away from one session not learning something. It's very professional. It's very well done. John Eldridge is a professional counselor. The, the video quality, everything. So not only that, but also the resources, the app that he has, the countless number of books that he's written that all kind of go along with this topic. So that really matters. When you have just a cookie-cutter, small-group flavor of the month, it, it is what it is. You get what you pay for. But you definitely want to look at, for what we're doing, I would say the content is wonderful. So we're still talking to two groups here. We're talking to uh, the facilitator. Right. Hey, get something that's going to be worth your people coming to. Yeah. That's important, okay, because you just made the point. You're asking them to give up an evening or something. So make it worthwhile. Right. And, and then if you're if you're going to one, hey, look for something that is meaningful and is is grade A, like, hey, wow, this really is beneficial to us and it's right. worth our time. Right. Well, talking about John Eldridge for a minute, I mean, not to put you on the spot, but you've read how many books from him. I mean, numerous, right? So it's not like you just heard a buddy say, yeah, this John Eldridge guy is really good and you listened to part of an audio book or maybe you read one book. And then you decided to just go ahead and jump on in. I mean, you've done your your research and your homework. Mm -hmm. So that's something else to say to the facilitator. Like, don't just pick somebody up because you heard good things about them. Read their material. Make sure this is good content. Yeah, and it's it's a lot like the things if you're a teacher or if you're a pastor. Look, if it's if it's changed you, if it's helped you, and you you have a genuine heart to pursue Christ and do do life well with God, and this has helped you, it's going to help somebody right. else. Yeah. Yeah. So be invested in it. And then as you if you come as a participant, come ready to invest in it. You know, one of the things that uh, I think helps doing small groups like this is setting it up in a way that requires somebody to invest. Now, there's not a big financial charge or, or financial responsibility. I so it's not a huge financial investment, but the time is an investment. When you're doing the meal and everybody's bringing stuff, that's an investment. But people tend to get more out of what they put yes. something into. Yes. And yeah. so that, that's very been very helpful. I think one of the other things that has worked really good with this particular one is that there has been a pretty good ratio of comfortable speakers, especially when you're doing a small group that is really— And, and I just want to clarify for the listener— not speakers that are coming and talking to us, but people in the group that are sharing. Yes, because yes. when you're doing a small group where it's really dialogue heavy, like, all right, we're all going to come and we're going to discuss this, if you have a room full of people that are anti-discussion, it's going to fall flat. And I know that's kind of a two, that's kind of a two-sided coin because it does take some courage and some comfortability. You got you got to be comfortable with the group that you're in in order to be vulnerable and to speak out in some of these things. So that, that does come with time. But if you're going to go to a small group, understand you're going to get more out of it if you are willing to speak into it. If everybody sits there quietly and looks at one another, the material can be A-plus, grade A, awesome, and you can still get some help, but you're not going to get nearly as much help as if you can really discuss with one another and and that's the that's the key part right what what you just said discuss with one another because if i get comfortable speaking 
I also want to make sure that I'm listening. Yes. And I'm I'm getting I'm not only opening up to the group, but depending on how big the group is, I want to make sure that hey, I get to hear everyone because now not only am I hearing the facilitator and I'm seeing what the actual video says, the person sitting next to me just pulled something out of that that I never even would have seen had they not you know, spoke yes. spoke out about it. We want dialogue, not monologue. Yes. Not a not color commentary, right? Not not just like one person commenting, right? Yes. It's it's a like you said, it's dialogue. I agree. You know, I may be the one in that room, just in this case, I may be the one that's the most got the most time invested in that material. But I guarantee you every week we get together, somebody brings up something that is like, Man, that's a great thought. That's a great application yeah. that I needed to hear from them. You right. know, it helps me. So you guys, before coming into our AO, had you ever been involved in any type of thing like this? No, not even remotely. No. So it was more just the Three to Thrive and the special church meeting somewhere that you'd go to? Yeah, I mean, you know, we had youth group and stuff like that, but I mean, that was always typically tied to Wednesday night service, uh, regularly scheduled youth activities different things like that as far as like a i guess what you could almost you could almost kind of classify it as you know like a spiritual book club Def, definitely not it, and i think a lot of that is just because of some misconception that that we had over the value and the the operation of stuff like this yeah i i'm right there with you uh, big that is a no for me dog we didn't uh <laughs> So, and I think the reason is going back to something we brought up earlier is that we've been taught in the circles that we all come out of, whether it was openly stated or not, the belief is is that this is it's affiliated with those compromisers. I'm going to say it. It yep. threatens the authority of the pastor, and we don't want to do that. Right. Well, I got it. We were all raised in that sense, but I I can tell you, hey, look, hey, there's no threat here. When people are growing. Yeah and they're doing this right, your church is going to benefit from it. Well, we're creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. And if you have a church culture, and I'll say it again, we talked about Sunday school earlier. Uh, if, if you come from the background that I come from, the IFB background, the closest thing you got to anything like we just described is Sunday school. That's the closest thing. And being a creature of habit, in so many instances where you get a bunch of people, a small group, in a smaller room, having a discussion, you have one or two folks who are dominating that discussion. And if we're not careful, we fall into that. Mm -hmm. And you, b before you know it, you got one person and everyone else just kind of shuts down and sits there versus what we're talking about is, hey, you've committed to this. There's actually work that's required of you. Right. You need to get out of your comfort zone and you need to speak up. But there's the, the culture of, People falling silent. There's the culture of, hey, I'm going to lose control of this. and So it's just, it's just safer to stay with what we know. Yeah, yeah. When What we have been outlining here are the benefits of doing this smaller, smaller discipleship-type group, okay? So smaller, by default, means more genuine fellowship, Yeah. okay? What is fellowship? Fellowship is shared life. That's kind of the way I like to think about it. And one of the benefits of that is not only will it happen in the meeting, in the group meetings, but it will spill over into life together. 
It overflows. It, it overflows into, hey, let's all go to Uncle Mike's gym and work out together. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's go on this backpacking trip together. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's get together over at, uh, at uh, Napoleon's house and play a little go fish. You know? Napoleon Manor. Yeah, Napoleon Manor. Play some go fish, watch some Rango. Uh, how about, yeah. Eh, yeah, I guess go fish. I don't, I don't know. By the way, some people don't know what IFB is, so I was going to make a note of yeah. that. It's the International Federation of Bad Dudes, of which you are a card-carrying member, and I just want to say that. I'll bash your head in any day, buddy. Yep. Wow. I don't know. I, I don't know. I was just trying to think of something, and that's why it came to my mind. You just don't imbe- judge me. Discipleship making will intensify... It'll go. It'll reach a higher level in these smaller groups because, yep. to the point you were making earlier, before I took us off track, you can't get lost in the in the crowd when there's not a crowd. Right. You right. know, if there's a group of 10, 15 people, you can get away with sitting there a little bit, but you're gonna you're gonna get highlighted. But even the people that don't talk a lot still are. You can tell they're more engaged. Well, yes. and it, and it depends on too what the material is because if it is just the same old, same old. What we're used to... A lecture. Yeah, if it's a lecture and it's what we're used to, well, we know what to say. I mean, I boy, I, I don't need to study or do anything. Just drop me in there. I'll drop a few automatic amen getters. But if you get people out of their comfort zone and and make them a little uncomfortable and all of a sudden they're having to think and, and wow, I never thought of it like that before. It's It's very beneficial. Yeah, because I think what you just mentioned there... My background, I guess if I was to rethink, there were some small group settings, like we had men's meetings, ladies' meetings, and stuff like that. But by and large, those were the men showed up, and then whoever the designated speaker was just presented you were the consuming. lesson for the and, day. And no disrespect, but tomato, tomato, right? Yeah. I mean, it was very uniform. Yeah. It was the same thing. I mean, we, we had some good yeah. men's sure. meetings. sure. But it's a it's a different. I think it's a different goal. It's a def, it's a different objective. Yeah. In those type of things, because there you are coming as a consumer of all right. I'm listening to what this guy has to present for me to take away. The small group settings that we're talking about is you have a a subject matter expert or at least somebody that's further along down the path than the rest of the group that yeah. is leading the group collectively a to facilitate. If you want to do small group right. And not just do, and again, those things are good things. What you were just describing sure. have their place. Yes. Right. But if you want to do the small group right, and there's no rule book on this, there's a lot of good ways to do it. But for me, I think the fundamentals of what this is and what it can be, we can trace it out in the Gospels if we look at how Jesus lived with the disciples. And I know we don't have a lot there, and we're having to kind of put information in between, but we can piece some stuff together. You can see it also in an area of Scripture you and I have been studying in on our radio program. We've been walking through, after we did resurrection, we've been going through the road to to Pentecost. Pentecost, And we're looking at Acts chapter 2, and those last verses of Acts chapter 2 outline this. And I I won't read all those, but it's Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. But here's the point. The early church got it right, and they laid the groundwork for us and the model for us. And there were four things that they were doing, four things that were part of their life together, okay? So it was discipleship. They were in the the apostles' doctrine. It was fellowship. That word is mentioned here. And by the way, that is the Greek word koinonia, and it basically means sharing. Now, to that point, what we're talking about when we're talking about sharing, Christian 
fellowship or sharing or participation. I got a quote here. Got a quote from John Piper on this Christian koinonia. Fellowship or sharing or participation that is unique to our relationship with other believers. What we are referring to is the shared union, the shared participation that we have together with Christ. So something is being asked of us. Okay, Fellowship means that I am getting involved in your life. You're getting involved in my life. We aren't just doing this once or twice, two or three hours a week when we meet at the church. But this is going on, well, it was daily for them. So they had discipleship, they had fellowship, then they had stewardship. So it was talk, It talks about how that they were sharing with one another. Some of them were selling their possessions so that they could make sure to give money to the needs and taking care of each other. There was st- stewardship involved. And then number four, there was worship. They were praying together. They were going to the temple together as well as meeting in each other's homes. Now, here's the question I would say. If we're evaluating our small groups, our fellowship groups, our community groups, whatever we call them, do they have those four elements? And that's how we know we're doing it right. The way that takes color or fleshes out can can vary. But do we have those four elements? Take our current one that we're involved in right now. The discipleship comes in the, the curriculum and mm-hmm. the teaching and, and the talking. The fellowship comes in the fact that we are getting together and we're breaking bread and we're we're laughing and we're picking at one another and and, and all of that. And, and, and we're, we're kind of... It's kind of spilling over into things like doing a podcast about it. The stewardship is in the coming together and bringing the meal. You know, it's a small way of doing it, but it's touching that aspect. Well, where's the worship come in? Well, of course, we are praying together in this. You know, we open the session. We we pray before we have the meal. We close with prayer in the session. I mean, there's ways to enhance that. But all those elements, to me, that's how you know you're doing it right if you get those four things in it. Let Let me pose one final question for... The men listening, for the pastors who may be listening, what's the relevance of doing this right now? Why does it matter? And let me, let me feed that question with this observation. And this is just me making an ob- a casual observation based on reading. I, I read a lot of books that were written hundreds of years ago. One thing that made me think about this was kind of skimming through Kempis's Imitation of Christ. I know he's going to talk about fellowship in there, but it's not a big topic. As a matter of fact, through the times I've read The Imitation of Christ, I get more of a, of a sense that he believes that to have a devout and holy life, you're going to have to spend a lot of time by yourself and avoiding a lot of interaction with others. What I think I've noticed is that some of that older writing from centuries ago that was not a lot of emphasis on togetherness and a lot of emphasis on solitude and spending time alone with God to develop your inner man. But we see a huge emphasis in our day, and it's, it's increasing about the need to come together. So that's kind of my way of leading into now you're answering that question, but what's the relevance of doing these kind of things? Why should we be emphasizing this now? I think to the point of the men that you've referenced, completely different culture and society. They had community involvement. You raised your crops. You went to the market. You sold. You were around people because your life literally depended on your interaction with people. So you needed to intentionally carve time to be alone for your soul. I think it's flip-flop nowadays. By and large, we work in our cubicle. We drive in our car. We uh, order our groceries. We, 
we don't really have, sleep in our bed. Yeah, amen. We don't, we don't really have as much legitimate interaction with people. We're a very much more isolated society that is connected digitally. And so everybody is a master of everything because we're on the internet, we've read blogs, articles, and so we've got it. But we have very little in-depth discussion and, uh, to use a word that we use a lot here at the church, disquashing of things because we just we consume the information. We've got information overload. And then by and large, our actual connection with people is very limited, so we need to be intentional about building these things in for the edifying of our souls. Mm-hmm. Before I, I was a competent safety person, I was a uh, martial arts instructor. Crouching tiger, hidden Dean. <laughs> hidden Napoleon, buddy. <laughs> so um, the guy I was working with, he was, he was talking about how, and this wasn't all parents, some parents. But it became more clear as you went along? It, it, <laughs> <laughs> can I uh can I finish? Yes, please. I, I have a really good point. Okay, I'm ready. This is see, this is every time. <laughs> no, like that a, was a great one though. It's like a sickness with you. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so you had different parents. You had the parents who were very involved. They came, they watched their kids. You had those with like a babysitting service. They would just drop them off. But then you had those who they meant well. And they they really wanted their their child to get help, but they were expecting too much. And those were the individuals who wanted the instructors to pretty much be a father figure or a mother figure or a big sister or a big brother to their children. And he made a really good point. He he told me, he said, Look, I can't raise a child two two hours out of the week because most kids would come you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays or Mondays and Wednesdays, whatever, for, you know, one-hour sessions. Well, think about it this way. Church service, even us, I mean, we go to church a lot compared to most folks. Most folks go, what, one time a week and then they have something else. But even three times a week, okay, how many hours are we at church if you put it all together? I, I can't off the top of my head, but, I mean, you got... Four. Four to five. Okay. Counting Sunday school. Four to five hours yep. a week. I mean, let's be honest. How can you, it's like you said, you're talking about 250 people. How are you supposed to build a relationship? It's hard to do that. Well, here's a good question. How can you build a relationship with two people four hours out of the week when you're not even seeing them? I've gotten to know you guys outside of church. That's how we have developed our, and you talk about the code and any other small group. When you really get a close relationship with folks, it's not from spending time together in church, because let's be honest, when we're in church, what are we doing? We're listening, and we need that. Mm -hmm. We need to hear what God has put on the pastor's heart, the Sunday school teacher's heart, and so forth. But you're not going to be able... There are people, I guarantee you, who are listening to this podcast right now, they have known people their entire life. They've gone to church with them their entire life. They would get up in the, in the middle of the night for them if they caught them. They would consider them a close friend, but they don't know the first thing about them yep. other than, hey, brother, how you doing? Good to see you. And, you know, they may stand around and talk about work and stuff, but for the last 30 years, they don't know much about each other at all, and that's because the majority of the time they spend with each other is at church during service versus something like this. 
Well, and let's talk about one of the other benefits. So you mentioned we come to church together, we sit, we receive, and we learn. And the value of that is we sit there and we're like, oh, man, yeah, I struggle with this. Yeah, this is good. But if we're not careful, it's really easy to sit there and think, man, I'm the only person in this. That message was just for me. I'm yeah. the only person in this church that is dealing with that. The value of the small group dynamic is now I find out, oh, man, he struggles with that too. Right. Now, all of a sudden, I'm I'm strengthened more so than being discouraged about what I'm hearing because I'm like, oh, okay, yes, we've got a common bond here. There is something that is bringing us together because we all acknowledge our weakness in this, but we all want to increase our strength in this. And so outside of the church setting and the small group setting, I'm now more mindful of what my brother is going through because yeah, I, I can relate with that. Actually inclined to pray for my brother more. And so until you've really sat through it and participated in one, you don't really know the value that you're missing out on. I think it would do a lot of couples some good to be in a setting where they could hear and observe and see each other actually open up their heart a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that it's going to work for everybody, but how many times would a husband and a wife maybe not share, maybe if it's just the two of them, or maybe you know one doesn't feel that he or she can, they, but sitting in that room together, they get to hear their spouse maybe open. Even if it just happened the one time in the one, like you met for five weeks and it was week five that your wife opens up or ladies, your husband opens up and you get to hear. It's like the moment Mountain Monk first spoke on one of our backpacking trips and we were all like, whoa, wow. he, yeah. he's a he's a deep well, you know? Yeah. 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 So I think that would be a good uh, reason to do it. The thing I was driving at, and you, you, you both fed into it when I brought up how it doesn't seem like older writings from centuries ago emphasize this. I think everything you said feeds into it and leads to this. Why it's relevant in our day and time is because I believe we are witnessing if not the beginnings, we're, we're maybe we're maybe we're further into it than we realize, and we're just awakening to it. But the great falling away that Paul talks about in Second Thessalonians chapter two, that there will be a there will come a falling away when the man of sin is eventually going to be revealed, and and what that is is people just walking away, people turning away from things that they have said their whole life they believed and they followed, and you know as I flip through Second Thessalonians. Uh, after thinking about that, it's almost like a great handbook for how to do a small group. It, it's almost like Paul was seeing how important it's going to be as we get closer and closer to the end of the age, we're going to need each other more and more. And Hebrews 10 says, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together. And we've all heard that emphasized as we need to get into church and get three to thrive, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But I, you, you made that point, uh, Napoleon. It's it's not enough. It right. won't be sufficient for the struggles that we're going to encounter in this new age where, yes, we still need to make that time, carve that time mm -hmm. to have solitude with God more so than ever, but because of the nature of our society and culture today, we're going to need that togetherness in the Christian family, that, that bond of perfectness, um, that striving together is going to become a necessity like we've never seen. Sure. Our whole purpose today was to encourage this. We want to see 
uh, more of our our friends get involved in it. We want to see uh, others take on and understand the value of doing this type of ministry in your church. No rule book on it. If you know, hey, there's things that you're not comfortable with if you're a, a leader in the church and you're not comfortable with all the aspects, that's all right. Tailor the thing. Yeah. Tailor it in a way and try some things. Just give it a shot. I think it'll be a blessing. It's been a great week to be back on the air with you fellas. Looking good, too, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Know, you. I, let me let me just say one last talking thing. To me. Yeah, I was talking to him, but <laughs> Man, anyway, I get you, roasted at the beginning of this broadcast and at the end of it. It's a podcast, buddy. Whatever. Well, just you know, you were talking about you used to work as a, a martial arts instructor. Why don't we get together and open up a gym? I can handle the strength and conditioning. You handle the martial arts training. This would be awesome. What's uh? What's all? He's water boy. I'm staying at the house. That's what I'm doing. Oh, roasted Bunch over of there. Jerks. No, he's our poster child. We're gonna put him on the poster. Okay, I yeah. can do it. Enough said. Roll that music. Champion